All right, good morning, Central Church. How's everyone? Awesome. Great to see you this morning. Whether you're here live, whether you're watching us online, uh, whether you're in the concourse or overflow this morning, we are so glad that you're joining us here at Central Church. And if you have a Bible this morning, please take it out and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. If you find the New Testament, you're close. Luke is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. We're going to jump into chapter 5 in just a second. <clears throat> we are continuing a teaching series called Foundations. A foundation is a necessary structure upon which something is built. I need to, to pause and say this is a, a family worship weekend, so we want to welcome all of our elementary age kids joining us this morning. Give a nice shout out to our elementary kids. We're glad to have you in here today. A foundation is a necessary structure upon which something is built, and I shared with you that who Jesus is and what Jesus taught forms the foundation for the church. And I said that Jesus has given us foundational truths that build the church. The first one I shared with you was this, lost people matter to God, and therefore they should matter to us. Second thing we talked about was uh, the fact that every Christian is in the game. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he doesn't want you sitting in the stands or standing on the sidelines. He has work for you to do. He, he's called you to serve his people, to serve the church, as well as your oikos. So it's time to, to get into the game. There's nothing more exciting than serving God and his purpose in our lives. The, the third thing is that um, the church was created to grow, both spiritually and numerically. Um, sometimes people think the church is only supposed to grow spiritually. But God's intention is that it expands in both ways, spiritually and numerically. Last week, we talked about the fact that prayer opens the door for God's power. Prayer opens the door for God's power. This morning, we're going to talk about this foundational truth. The church should preach Jesus, not rules. The church should preach Jesus, not rules. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as we pray, we open the door for your power to come in. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We pray, Jesus, as you instructed us, your kingdom come and your will be done in the earth today as it is in heaven. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give strength to the weak this morning, encourage uh, the faint-hearted. I pray today, Lord, that you'd heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, uh, give wisdom to those that lack wisdom, and help us to understand the truth of Scripture this morning. Uh, open the eyes of our heart and our understanding. Uh, to, to understand your, your truth today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, family worship time. I, I want to start this morning by having you talk to somebody that's sitting next to you, someone that's around you, and I want you to answer this question. What are some rules that kids have to grow up with? Right? What are some rules maybe that you grew up with? Uh, if you're a kid right now, uh, uh, what are some rules that your parents expect of you? Uh, what can't you do? Take 60 seconds. Talk about that with someone around you. All right, good job. I'm going to ask you to shout out here in just a second what you came up with. What are some rules that you had to live by when you were a kid or maybe you're a kid right now? Last night, a little four-year-old girl jumped up and said, the rule is don't jump on the couch. That's what she said the rule was. So what are some rules kids have to abide by? Make your bed. Make your bed. Good. What else? Say it again. Don't jump off the top of the bunk bed. There's wisdom in that, young man. There's wisdom in that. What else? Do your chores. Bedtime. What else? Put away your toys. Clean your room. Good. What else? Be respectful. 
don't sing at the table. No worship in this house, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, John. I'm kidding. What else? Curfew. Yeah, when they get a little older. Yeah, you want your four-year-old. You got to be home at midnight, you know, little four-year-old. So. But when they get older, yeah, we got to do that as well. Yeah. All right. So how, what, what, if, what if your parents put signs all around the house that reminded you of the rules? like these signs. What if, what if they posted these signs around your house? They, they will come up here in a second. There, there you go. I tell you what you can't do, right? All the rules that you have as a kid uh, hung up all around your house, especially this one, right? No fun allowed. What, what would that be like? How would that make you feel? Th- that, was, that was my church growing up. See, I grew up in the church, but my church emphasized all the stuff you couldn't do if you wanted to be a Christian. Uh, they, they told me you, I, I couldn't listen to rock music. I couldn't get a tattoo. I couldn't, I couldn't say bad words. I couldn't have a beer. Uh, I couldn't play poker for money. And the problem was I loved listening to rock music, and I loved playing poker for money and taking all my friends' money. I loved that opportunity. Um, but sometimes the church preaches rules and not Jesus. And that, that was the church that I, that I grew up in. And when I, when I think about that, it breaks my heart to think about how many people were turned off to Jesus because of the church, right? I, I mean, to preach rules instead of preaching Jesus because if you, if you preach Jesus, you can, you can preach that Jesus can take it from here, right? I mean, like, somehow the church feels like they're the police, the, the moral police. And we have, to, we have to make sure if you're a Christian, you know every single thing you can't do. What if, we, what if we preached Christ? What if we preached a relationship with Jesus Christ and then trusted Jesus, that Jesus would lead us in everything we should and shouldn't do in life? Well, that, that concept was the Jewish world in the time of Jesus. Let me give you a little background to Luke chapter 5, which we're going to study this morning. The Jewish people in Jesus' day lived under what was called the tradition of the elders or the oral law that had been passed down generation after, after generation. Uh, it, basically what it was, the, the tradition of the elders, was a bunch of rules uh, made up by the rabbis based on their interpretation of the law. So they, they would interpret the law and say, oh, this is what the law says. Let me tell you what you can't do. And there were, there were rules for everything in life. There were Sabbath rules, what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. In fact, there was 39 categories of laws just for the Sabbath, 39 categories, and, and hundreds of subcategories just for the Sabbath, hundreds of rules about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. There were, there were rules about prayer. There were rules about fasting. There were rules about marriage. There, there were rules about purity. Everything basically had a rule. That, that was, uh, and the Jews had to rigidly live under these rules, the tradition of the elders. So Jesus now is coming along. And, and as Jesus comes along, the, the old system of traditions and rules 
the old covenant was coming to an end. And Jesus was about to introduce a new covenant. And the new covenant was going to be based on not rules and regulations and traditions, but the new covenant was going to be based on a personal relationship with Christ. So as we read Luke chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 33, that's the backdrop. This, this changing of the guard, this changing of systems, this moving from the old covenant, which was a system of rules and traditions and regulations, to a system of relationship with Christ, which would be led by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. One day, some people said to Jesus, hey, John the Baptist's disciples, they fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Do you see the question within the question? Jesus, why don't your disciples follow the rules? Everyone else follows the rules. Uh, we, we, we fast on Monday and Thursday like the rabbis did. We pray three times a day at specific times of the day. We follow the rules of prayer. We follow the rules of fasting. Why don't your disciples? They're, they're breaking the rules. Jesus then responds with three illogical metaphors. Each of these, the, the, to the people of that day, would understand that doesn't make sense. No, no one would do that. That's illogical. Okay? So the first metaphor. He says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. This is a celebration. It's not a time of mourning. It's a time of celebration. So we eat and we celebrate together. Jesus then says, but someday the day is coming when the groom, he's talking about himself, the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration, metaphor number two. No one tears a piece of new cloth uh, from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. So you, you don't take a piece of of cloth that has never been washed and shrunk. You don't take that new cloth and sew it on a hole in your jeans because when you wash them, the patch is going to pull away because it's going to shrink. The old garment has already shrunk. So Jesus says that, that's illogical that you would sew a piece of new cloth on an old garment. <clears throat> and then Jesus says this, illogical metaphor number three, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. No, Jesus says, new wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Jesus is talking about wine and wineskins, and what we have to understand about uh, the first century people was a wineskin, which was, was what held wine, was made of goat skin. And the, the grapes, when they'd been trampled on and the juice had been extracted from the grape, the, the juice would be placed in a container like a, a wineskin. And then they would add yeast to it. Uh, the yeast would eat the sugar in the grape juice. And it would then convert the sugar into carbon dioxide or gas. That's the fermentation process of, of, of wine. So the, the sugar is converted into gas, and that gas begins to violently expand. 
Well, when you, when you put it into a new goat skin, the new goat skin was flexible. It had elasticity. So the, the new wine would begin to expand by gas in the, in the, in the new wine skin, and the, the new wine would give shape to the wine skin. Hold that thought. It's the wine that gives shape to the wine skin. Okay? But, but a new wine skin is only a new wine skin once. Once that, that goat skin has been expanded, it's now in its uh, permanent state, and it gets hard as it's held the wine and rigid. You, you, it's no longer a new wine skin. So Jesus says if you put new wine again into an old rigid wine skin that's already been used and it begins to expand, what's going to happen? There's no flexibility, so it's going to burst and you're going to lose the wine. Make sense? I believe in this, in this metaphor of wine and wineskins. Jesus is primarily, not solely, but primarily talking about the Holy Spirit. The wine is the Holy Spirit being poured into this new wineskin. I say that for three reasons. First of all, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured into the church for the very first time, the people that were there observing thought that the, the new disciples were drunk. They said they're drunk with wine. They didn't understand what was happening. Peter steps up and he explains, no, they're not, they're not drunk with wine. They're not drunk with alcohol. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul comes along in Ephesians 5.18 and he says this to the church, don't get drunk with wine, natural wine. Instead, be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. So again, this analogy between wine and the Holy Spirit being poured into a life or poured into the church. And the third reason I believe that primarily Jesus is talking about wine, when, uh, the Holy Spirit when he's talking about wine, is because the containers that hold the Holy Spirit in the New Testament are both the individual Christian and the church. So we as Christians, we are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the house that the Holy Spirit lives in. So we become the wineskin that the Holy Spirit is poured into, as does the church. The church becomes the collective wineskin that receives the, the wine of the Holy Spirit. Now, today I want to talk primarily about the wineskin of the church. You can make some application to the indiv excuse me, individual person, but I want to talk about the wineskin of the church. So what, what does Jesus teach us in Luke chapter 5 about wine and wineskins? Three quick thoughts. The first is this. The wine is more important than the wineskin. The wine is more important than the wineskin. Again, back to chapter 5 in Luke. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. See, you don't want to spill the wine, right? So you, you want the container, the wineskin, to preserve the wine. Uh, the, the wine is more important than the wineskin. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, so the wineskin serves the wine, not the other way around. The, the wine doesn't serve the wineskin. So, so the wineskin of the church, what is the wineskin of the church that holds the Holy Spirit? The wineskin of the church is made up of our our traditions, our programs, our ministries, our structure, our governmental structure, our ministry structure, our mission statement, our initiatives, our philosophy of ministry, all of that is, is the wineskin 
of the church. Some churches value the wineskin, their traditions, their, their laws, their, their ministries, their structure. Some churches value the wineskin more than the, the wine, the wine of the Spirit, okay? Here's the problem. Over time, every tradition eventually becomes law in the church. The, the longer you follow a tradition, the longer you follow uh, a ministry or a program in the church, pretty soon that, that becomes law. It becomes fixed. It, it, so it becomes sacred. You can't change that. We've done that 50 years, pastor. You, you, you can't remove that. That's, that's sacred. No, it's not sacred. It's a tradition. And it was probably started for a very good reason. There was probably a biblical reason why that started. But remember, the wineskin serves the wine, not the other way around. The Holy Spirit isn't here to, to affirm and uphold our traditions and, and our ministries and programs. We are here to support the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when, when Jesus was responding to the Pharisees and he said, he said, hey, my disciples will fast later when, when I'm gone, when I've gone back to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes, he wasn't saying that prayer and fasting is unimportant. Neither was he saying, they, they, I, I don't think my disciples have to fast or pray. Those things just, they're, they're, they're no longer part of the new covenant. No, what he was saying was a new system is coming. And this new system is based on a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ. This new covenant, this, this new system is based on a relationship with the Holy Spirit. In the, in the new covenant, no longer will you be driven by rules. You've got to pray three times a day at these hours. You've got to fast Monday and Thursday. You've got to follow these traditions and these regulations. The new covenant isn't based on that. The new covenant is based on the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit leads you to. So you no longer pray three times a day. You pray whenever the Holy Spirit leads you. You no, no longer fast only on Monday and Thursday. You fast when the Holy Spirit leads you to fast and in the type of fast that the Holy Spirit leads you into. You following? So, so here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, about this new covenant or this new system. Paul says that it's not that we apostles, that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. And God has enabled or equipped or called us as apostles to be ministers of his new what? New covenant, new system, new relationship, right? This is a covenant not of written laws, rules-based, but of what? The Holy Spirit, New Covenant. No longer based on regulations, how you pray, when you pray, all of those rules about the Sabbath, that, that's all going away. And the New Covenant is based on a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The old written co covenant ends in death, but under the New Covenant, the Spirit gives what? Life. So, so we are now under the New Covenant. We are now under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, both as individuals and as a church. Here's the key. When the church values the wineskin more than the wine, the Holy Spirit leaves. When the church puts more importance on its traditions its ministries, its programs, its structure. When, when the church says, our wineskin is more important than the wine of the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Spirit leaves. How do we know that? Well, the parable that Jesus talked about. He, he said, no, no one puts new wine, the wine of the Spirit, into old, rigid wine skins. Why? Because the skins will burst and you will lose what? You lose the wine. The wine seeps out. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is talking to the seven churches of Asia Minor. A couple of those churches no longer had the Holy Spirit. Actually, one of them was about to lose the Holy Spirit. The church at Ephesus, Jesus says to them, he was warning them about repenting. And he says, if you don't repent, I'm about to take the lampstand out of your midst. The lampstand represents the Holy Spirit, the revelation, the illumination, the understanding. I'm about to, to, to pull the lampstand from you. God was saying, you're, you're about to lose the Holy Spirit. The, the church at Sardis, here's what he said about the, Jesus said about the church at Sardis. He says, your reputation leads people to think that you're alive, but you're dead. By reputation, you're alive. The, the, the community thinks you're a great church. My spirit's not there anymore. You're dead. What if that was us? What if that was Central Church? Man, we got a great reputation. We got a great preschool, right? We, we do great things in the community. We give money to people, but we're dead, right? That's possible. That, that, that if we value the wine, all of those man-made things, if we value that more than the spirit, we can lose the spirit. And, and in my 13 years of, of ministry here, we have, we have had to make several difficult wineskin decisions. Decisions that forced flexibility on our part, but change on our part. We had people that, that were coming to us from our church trying to fulfill our mission. Our mission is to share the love of Jesus with your relational world. They were doing that. They were going to their friends and they were saying, hey, hey, they built a relationship. Why don't you come to church with me? They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the church? They say, oh, Central Baptist. Oh, no, thank you. I don't want to go to a Baptist church. Why not? I've heard about Baptist churches. So our people are out there inviting people, and we're hearing that, that people aren't coming through these doors. And I don't think we're a legalistic church. I, I think we're a pretty life-giving church. But they never step into the doors because of the name Central Baptist. So we made a decision ba based on our mission of reaching lost people, and lost people, some of them won't even come into our doors. We're going we're gonna to drop Baptists from our name. We're, we're going to go by Central Church. We're going to keep our doctrine. We're, we're going to keep the, the, the same uh, biblical doctrinal truths. We're, we're not going to forsake those. We're just going to drop the name. And since we've done that, more and more people have come to our church, found Christ, had their life transformed, had their marriages transformed, their families transformed, because before, they, they wouldn't come to a Baptist church. That's a, we had people in the church that, that were angry. What, are you ashamed of the Baptist church? We're not trying to reach the world anyways. We're just trying to reach Baptists. No, actually, we are trying to reach the world. And, and we don't really care if we're pleasing Baptists. Because that's not our mission. So, so get over yourself if you're a Baptist and let's start getting about the mission of Christ, which is reaching lost people. And if the people in your oikos won't come because we're Baptists, let's do something to get them in the church, right? And so we did that. That was a tough decision. A lot of people resisted that decision. The hardest decision that I've made since I've been here was uh, combining our traditional service 
with our contemporary service. How many of you were here when we made that decision? Our traditional service was mainly older people that wanted hymns in worship. And they, they met in the Oakwood Chapel. Uh, my, my mentor, Shirley Hale, played the organ in there. And they, they were content having hymns only. And then they would, they would get my message or whoever was preaching on a video. Meanwhile, uh, another group of people were in here worshiping to contemporary, more contemporary songs and not, not as much hymn stuff. And, and when I came here, I've got these two congregations, one that wants to worship with hymns and one that wants to worship with more contemporary music. And that, that never sat right in my spirit. It was like, wait, the Holy Spirit, was just, this, is, this isn't right. Wait, so, so we're going to have a group of people in the church that says, I won't worship with you because of the music you like. Like, isn't that backwards? Yeah, it actually is. But we're, we're, we're one body. We're not two bodies. We're, we're one body. So we have to figure out how to walk together and how to be a community together, not, not two separate bodies. So we made the decision to, to bring that together into one just, just celebration service in worship. And people left. And, and because they wanted, they wanted strictly hymns. And I get that. I totally get it. And, and they probably migrated to churches or, or went to churches where that's what they were doing. And, and I understand that. That, that was a wineskin decision for our church. And since we've made that decision, the, the church has continued to grow. The, the church has, has, has continued to reach a younger generation, which I'll talk about in just a second. But, but you make, mom and dad, you make wineskin decisions for your family all the time. You make wineskin decisions when the Holy Spirit is leading you toward a decision, but you're thinking, well, how are my kids going to react if I, if I do that? You go to a parenting seminar and you, you learn all kinds of truth and it's revelations. I, bet, I better begin to implement this in my life. But then it's like, well, how are my kids going to react? Maybe I shouldn't do that. Well, listen, if you allow the Holy Spirit to lead your parenting and to lead your family, you're going to find great fruit in that. So don't be so rigid that the Holy Spirit can't guide and lead and direct you or, or as an individual as well. So, so the first reality is the wine is more important than the wineskin. The second thing is the wineskin must remain flexible. The wineskin has to remain flexible. Again, Luke chapter 5. New wine must be stored in new or flexible wineskins. Galatians 5.16. If we live by the Spirit, if we've, been, if we've been given life by the Holy Spirit, let us also keep in step. Let us move with. Let us stay in stride with the Holy Spirit. That's true individually, and that's true collectively as the church. We are to stay in step with what the Holy Spirit is saying and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Is that it? Oh, 1 Corinthians. Now, listen to what Paul says about his own life as he was trying to reach people for Christ. Here's what Paul says. He says, to the Jewish people, when I was trying to share the gospel with them, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews to Christ. To those under the law, still Jews, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, I'm under the law of Christ or the Holy Spirit's guidance so as to win those Gentiles who didn't have the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. What is Paul saying? He said, 
when I deal with different cultures or with different people, my approach to sharing the gospel changes. I'm flexible. I don't, I don't have just one way that I share the gospel. I, I understand the culture. I understand the language. I understand the tradition of the people that I'm dealing with, and I have to be flexible. I have to adjust. So even the Apostle Paul says that the wineskin has to remain flexible, and that's true for the church as well. So the church has to be flexible in terms of how we do ministry. What about, what about worship style? That's a big one, isn't it, in the church? It's a wineskin issue. Music style, what, what types of instruments do we use? Do we use organ and piano, or do we go beyond that? Do we use drums and electric guitars and bass guitars? What about song selection? Do we do hymns, or do we con- do contemporary choruses? Do, do we do a mixture of those two? What, what is our wineskin? in terms of music style. How, how long do we worship in the service? Do we worship for 12 minutes? Do we worship for 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Some, worship, some, some churches wor- worship for 45 minutes. What, what, is, what is the wineskin in terms of how long you should sing and, and worship the Lord? People walk into our church on Sunday mornings and based on the screens during worship, they think this is just a rock concert. Their cameras, are, they're showing the drummer. They're showing the guitar player. That's MTV. That's what they do on MTV, right? It's just a big rock concert. This isn't a worship service. It's a rock concert. What they're not understanding is that was a wineskin decision. It wasn't to become MTV. They basically say you sold yourself out to the world. That's really not true. What they don't understand is we have online services. And the online services are getting the feed that you see. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that watch us online before they ever visit the church. And and we want to give them a really quality experience. We want them to feel the worship, not just hear it, but we want them to experience what's happening with our worship team and our our worship singers. We have multiple camera angles. We, We want them to feel like they're actually there. And oftentimes people will watch online for a few weeks or a few months, and then they'll visit the church and they'll find Christ and their life will get radically changed because of that. So it's, it's a wineskin decision that you might misunderstand, but we're, we're really trying to reach people that don't know Jesus that might be, might be watching us online so that we can give them a quality experience. I have preferences for worship. You have preferences for worship. I love hymns. I love the theology of hymns. I think, I think some of the, the, the worship songs today lack a depth of theology. A lot of the songs have great theology and are very, very biblical. I'm a vineyard guy. I, I grew up in the vineyard where the songs were just simple. Like you could memorize the words. You, you, you could close your eyes and just, and just revel in the glory of God. You didn't have to look at the screen. Like what, and some of the songs today are so wordy. I, I can't memorize them. They're, they're, not, they're not my favorite kind of songs, right? So, so we, all, we all have preferences. We have sound preferences. The older we get, the quieter we want it because it hurts our ears. The younger we are, the louder we want it, right? I'm advocating for us old folks here in the church. Every, we battle in our meetings. It's too loud. No, it's not. It's too loud. No, it's not. We got to draw the, the young crowd in. They like it loud. We don't like it loud. It's a constant tension that we're managing here at church. So, so it's, a, it's a worship preference. It's a, it's a worship style. The question isn't, what is 63-year-old Jeff Wheeler like? That's never been the question. The question is, are we going to reach the next generation for Christ? That's the question. 
because I'm looking around at some, some bald heads and some gray heads and me, and I'm saying, we're dying pretty soon. And if we don't reach the next generation, there is no church. We, we have to reach the next generation for Christ. And so, so five years ago, we, we hired a guy named Paul Cowan to lead worship. He looked like he was 16 years old when we hired him. That was five years ago. Now he looks like he's 17 years old. I mean, the dude was a baby when we hired him. But this guy... This guy understands the heart of worship for the next generation. The dude gets it. And since, since Paul began to lead worship here, Paul and Bree, his wife, the doors have swung open for hundreds of young people to come to the church. They, they are embracing next generation worship, right? Reveal night. We do a worship night, a reveal night every couple of months here on Sunday night. And if you've never been, we have old, older people that come, like me and some of you, but hundreds and hundreds of middle school, high school, college, and young adult kids come and just passionately pour out their heart to God. That, that's saying, is our worship reaching the next generation? I don't want to be the guy, the old guy, that says, no, it's hymns only. Darn it, we like it. If it's good enough for us, it's good enough for them. No. We won't have a church. I, I want Central to be vibrant and powerful 20 years from now, 30 years, 40 years from now, and it'll never happen if we don't continue to reach the next generation for Christ and pass the baton of leadership to them and trust babies like Paul Cowan <laughs> who just get it. What about preaching style? Should we do topical sermons or topical like, you know, five keys to a golden marriage or how to make sure you manage money and money doesn't manage you? Or should we, or should we pick a book of the Bible and just grind it out verse by verse, right? Should we use props in our sermons like I did last week with the door? Should, should we put the scripture verses up on the screen? Or do we say, you're going to learn the books of the Bible. Open to Leviticus. Try to find it, right? I mean... It's a wineskin decision. We do both. I ask you to turn to a text. We read a text together, but we also put, put scriptures up. What, what are we trying to do? Those are all wineskin decisions. What about, what about communion? Do we do communion every week? Some churches do. Do we do it every month? That's what we do. Do we do it quarterly? Some churches do. Do we do it by intinction? Intinction, that's a weird word, isn't it? Intinction means you, like you come to the altar and there's, a, there's a, a cup of juice and you pull off a piece of bread and you dip it in the juice and you eat it. So, some churches do that every week, right? Or, or, or is it one loaf and a common cup? Like you come and you pull it off of one loaf and everybody drinks out of it and you're like, ew, people used to do that. They did. Anybody remember that common cup? Communion? Come on, somebody. That's right. And we all died of disease because we shared each other's things. And then that was pre-COVID, though. The common cup was always pre-COVID. Or do you, we use COVID cups. You get your little individualized sanitized cup. That's what we do here. It's all clean. No worries about it. We even put hand sanitizer around so you feel like there's no germs at all. What, what, what about communion? How do we? Those are all wineskin decisions. What about dress code? Do we wear suits and ties and dresses? Or sweaters, jeans, and vans. I mean, what, what, what is? It's really here. It's just whatever. 
Like there's guys that wear suits and ties. Wonderful. Worship Jesus like that. There's, there's guys that wear, you know, just really casual, flip-flops and shorts. That's wonderful if your heart's in the right place, right? So it's a, it's a wineskin thing. Ultimately, the, the, the issue isn't what is our tradition, but it's what is the Holy Spirit saying to us right now? That's the issue. What is God saying? To, and we're constantly asking that question as a leadership team. Not what programs do we hold dear, but what might the Holy Spirit be doing? And the last point I want to say really quickly, the old generation never wants a new wineskin. The old generation never wants a new wineskin. No one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say, us old folks. Let's just keep it as it is. It, it's, we've loved the wine that we've had for 30 years and 40 years. Let's don't change it. Isaiah says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. God is always doing new stuff, not changing truth, not changing the message, but changing the way we present it, changing the wineskin. But we all with unveiled face, Paul says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed or changed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. We're always being moved from one degree of glory to the next. The wineskin serves the wine. We always think our generation's traditions are the best because it's what we grew up with. Can't we just sing only hymns, wheels? No, we can't. But we'll try to sing as many as we can because I like hymns. We'll do our best. We're not going to go back to organ and piano. It's the older generation that resists the next move of God. We want to see our worship tradition, our preaching tradition, our ministry tradition, our church programs, our dress code. But again, if we don't reach the next generation, we'll die. Every wineskin, eventually every wineskin is replaced by a new wineskin. What if we were a church that valued the wine more than the wineskin? What if we were a church that preached a relationship with Jesus Christ and not rules and regulations? What if we tried to help people find the love of Jesus and let him transform their lives and become the moral police instead of us being the moral police? And let's be a flexible wineskin, amen, that, that God can continue to move us from one degree of glory to the next. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we worship you. We pray as individuals and as a church that you would continue to help us be the, the flexible wineskin that can hold the glorious wine of your spirit and change the world for Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.